All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Sandhill Road. I have a very special guest today that was introduced to me through a surfer colleague of mine. She was based in Lisbon, Costa Caparica, and we've come full circle now. It's Kelsey Bishop. She is the founder of, of Candor, which is a professional network or platform to discover and share your work. They just raised a 5 million seed round earlier this year. So really happy to have you here, Kelsey. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And as we see, this is not a virtual background that you have here, but the actual real background, wonderful. What is it? Connecticut, New York. New Jersey, <laughs> the New England fall behind me. <laughs> Come see the leaves. Yeah. So maybe for the listeners out there, give us just the cliff notes of what Candor does. It's joincandor.com. What is it all about? How did you get to start it and where it's at? Yeah, absolutely. So Candor is a platform where people sign up and make profiles where they share how they work versus their titles and work history like you'd see on something like LinkedIn. And so the way it came about is I have a background in startups and I've joined, you know, a couple of different startup companies, always kind of early employee type. I'm a Jane of all trades. So I've worked in ops roles, partnerships, marketing, kind of a little bit of everything. And what I found in my experience was no matter what role I was in, no matter what company that I joined, my experience would always land in one of two buckets. One bucket being crazy, amazing team. Everyone works together really well and things just kind of click. And the product, you know, could be in early stages and we could still be trying to figure out how to make things work. But the team works so well together. And those experiences have been kind of the highlights of my career. And then kind of the other bucket that I've experienced is I've joined teams where culture doesn't quite click in that same way. And the team doesn't work as well together as I might hope. The business could be crushing it. But I think without that culture fit, without that team fit, it's really difficult to kind of find that, that feeling of belonging in your workplace. So when I left my last role, started thinking about kind of how we get to know each other as professionals, right? Like from day one, how do we get to know each other, particularly in a remote world? And this is like, really get to know each other as humans. Like what makes this person, you know, get out of bed in the morning and excited and what do they value? And I realized it was really difficult to, to get to know your teammates. And this kind of, I think, was the source of many of my problems in, in startups that didn't quite click. And so started Candor about a year and a half ago to approach that problem. And today we are mostly serving people in the tech community. And usually what happens is we'll have a manager or a founder sign up for Candor, make their profile, and then invite their teammates to do the same. And these Candor profiles are basically serving as a readme or user manual type of thing where people read them, kind of get to know their teammates better, and can, can in turn work with them better. You can sign on sort of hiring managers and use that as a beachhead. It's sort of a self-serve product with a pretty nice landing spot for smaller organizations as well. Exactly right. Yeah. So we have we have small startups, you know, a couple of co-founders and, and a few engineers all the way up to multi-thousand employee organizations. And it really starts kind of at that team level. So maybe we have a people ops person initially sign up and they initially and then they eventually spread it to the rest of the org. And talking about your personal journey, I mean, you've graduated, I think it was in 2018. Yeah. And you worked for Vanta and OnDeck. You mentioned you had ops roles in one, some platform roles. Talk about sort of the experience very specifically to understand where this initial spark of yours came from. Yeah. So I actually started my career when I was still in college 
a classmate of mine started a company and we sat next to each other in class and he was telling me about it. And that company was called Campus Insights and it was a market research company. So I led sales for Campus Insights for about two years. And that was like kind of the beachhead of my interest in startups. And I realized how cool it could be and how much impact you could have, especially as a young person. And I realized I didn't want to climb the corporate ladder or kind of like be you know, someone who didn't have a lot of impact in their company just because they were young. And I, I saw startups as a way to break in and be able to have a role with a lot of reach. So yeah, worked on Campus Insights for two years during college. We actually sold it right as we were graduating to an organization within Harvard. And after that decided, okay, you know, I've kind of done, it was more of a like services agency type of model. And after that, I was like, you know, I want to go work for a venture-backed company, work and like kind of see scale, see the rocket ship, <laughs> see everything that everyone talks about. And so I decided to move to San Francisco and work for a company called Omni. And Omni was a consumer's storage and rentals product. So we basically had warehouses in San Francisco where people could store things like bikes and surfboards and also rent out those items to the public. So it was a really interesting idea. I loved it as kind of a minimalist myself, but it was a really logistically difficult company. So I worked there for two years, like kind of at the end of things. And after that, moved on to Vanta as an early employee. I think I was employee eight or 10 or something like that. And I was their first non-technical, non-salesperson. So I did ops, but I also did partnerships. I did a bit of marketing. I worked with legal teams. I did a lot of different things there. And it was an interesting time because the company was scaling so rapidly. So it was it was cool to kind of see the the company grow so quickly. And then, yeah, when I left Vanta, I decided to start Candor. And I think one of the key challenges when, you know, when looking for a startup job right out of college is that startups couldn't be more diverse, right? There's so much heterogeneity in terms of like the companies that are joining. It's not like you're going into consulting or you're going into banking. It's so different. Absolutely. And I think that's also one of the problems that you're trying to address, that in a typical interview, you might be able to ask one or two questions, but it's quite hard to to understand the organization. Also, if you look at outside reviews of that company, you yep. know, thinking of Glassdoor and the likes, those may work in larger organizations where you have more comps and more data points, but it doesn't really work for smaller startups, right? And this seems to be one of the key insights. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think that was my initial pain point was that it is so hard to determine culture fit from the employee side. It is a pain point I think we'll eventually try to solve. Right now, I think Candor is mostly used in internal teams for remote teams to kind of deepen their relationships. But eventually I can see Candor being used in the interview and hiring process as well. We actually internally at Candor have kind of switched the script a little bit. And we actually only do one to two interviews for people that we hire. And we do something called a mutual assessment, also known as a work trial. And a candidate will come in and actually get paid hourly to work for us for two weeks. And that actually has been a really interesting experience because candidates get a firsthand look on what our culture is like. And we also get an experience of what they're like in our culture. And so it's actually a really interesting thing because we've slowly been trying to productize all of the things that we learn in those two weeks into the Candor product. So it's like, you know, what are those indicators that you get working with someone that you don't get from a LinkedIn profile that you don't get from an interview? And how can we incorporate them into the Candor product? So that's something that we're, we're actively doing. It used to be called work samples. And, you know, 
you have it sometimes on the technical side, coding interviews where you have to produce project work that you actually see a person interacting over a long, longer period of time, trying to understand motivation, trying to understand work styles, different work routines. I think that's quite helpful. But when you started one and a half years ago, how did it look like? It was in the middle of the pandemic. How did that go down? And how did you sort of from that idea then come up with the first version of the product, build the MVP, get some first customer feedback and get the foot in the door? Yeah, it looked a lot different than it does today. So I'm a solo founder. So in the beginning, it was just me. And I'm also, I don't consider myself a technical founder. And so in the very beginning, it was me and my Bubble app. <laughs> and Bubble is this amazing no-code tool that I highly, highly recommend for early stage founders. And so what I did was I just signed on to Bubble. I used one of their templates and started experimenting with messaging. So I just kind of created different landing pages and just got eyeballs on them and to see kind of what resonated, what didn't, and refine kind of the value prop before and started building. And eventually I got kind of, you know, I had done enough user research to figure out kind of that initial MVP and I built it through Bubble. So it was all through a no-code app, all on web, and people could basically sign up and interact with a real application. And that was kind of how we, we did it for the first hundred users. So for the first six months, it was me and my Bubble app and a hundred users. And then I decided to kind of like launch more publicly on Product Hunt. And at that moment, I realized that this beast was, was too big for one woman and I needed to bring on a team. So I decided to raise that first round of funding in September of 2021, so just about a year ago, to really bring on those founding team members. And so decided to bring on an engineer, a product designer, and an ops person. And that became kind of the founding team that really built out what I think the first real version of the product was, which was an app that was natively coded and not designed by me, thankfully, because it was pretty brutal when it was. And, and so, yeah, I think that's kind of, you know, the journey as, as it began was really, I think, about a year ago when, when we brought on the founding team. I talk a lot with founders on the low-code, no-code side. Some people say Bubble and Webflow, they're sort of treacherous gateway drugs for founders because you never get off of them. If you don't manage to find a technical founder, how is sort of the migration from that sort of user base onto the native app? Was it difficult? Was it sort of a clean, fresh start? Did you have to download the, the database and then basically start all over again? How did it go down? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I thought it would be more complex than it was. So in total, I was probably on Bubble for about nine months between all like the landing pages and then actually building the app and then kind of doing the transition. But yeah, our lead engineer built out the first version of the app in about three weeks and was able to migrate all of our original Bubble users onto our new app. So I, I thought it would actually be much more complex, but Bubble makes it really easy to kind of export your data in a way that's really neat. And honestly, I have nothing but good things to say about, about Bubble and my no-code experience. I think I wouldn't have been able to, to really get over that hump of, of building an MVP without a co-founder, if not for Bubble. You raised this five million round in total, but I, I assume it was all on a convertible note. So I can assume that you raised it over a period of time, sort of smaller checks, friends and family first, smaller funds. How did that round get structured? So we're seven people full-time, and then we have a few kind of part-time contractors on the team as well. So still quite small. And we raised a million and a half pre-seed in about a year ago, that round, that first initial round that I was mentioning. And that was led by a four VC, who I absolutely love. They're this incredible pre-seed fund. My, the lead investor was actually the first PM at Twitter. 
And so he helps me with a lot of kind of the initial product thinking, especially on the consumer side, which is quite difficult, I think, especially in the beginning. And then just three months later, we were preempted for a seed round by Contrary Capital. And that was a three and a half million dollar round. So yeah, I basically didn't have time to announce the pre-seed before we raised the seed round, which was awesome timing given given the market. And so yeah, total funding to date is five million with those those two rounds. I mean, preempted was my favorite word last year. <laughs> a lot a lot of preemption taking place. Talk a little bit about how how you decided who to bring on to this preempted round. Yeah, so we got super lucky with our investors. I truly think we have such a talented docket of people backing us. My main things that I was focused on was one, just get like really good humans that I want to work with on board because I know this is a long-term relationship. And I also know that I'm the type of person that just wants to have great people in the room who I really trust. So that was kind of priority number one. And priority number two was kind of the experience background network that would be useful for candor. So this could be the consumer social background that is really interesting for us to pull on learnings there or kind of the HR people background and network because eventually those will kind of be our buyers and our champions internally. So a lot of our angels, we have a docket of about 40 angel investors. And then I think there's six or seven funds that we have on. So they all kind of fall within different experience categories and they're all just great, fantastic humans. So I feel like I've gotten really lucky on that. And the angels, how did that go down? Did you go on angel list or was it sort of you speaking to people and once you have a lead, then it's typically much easier to get angels in. How did that go down practically? Yeah, it was all referrals and kind of warm introductions to angels who are in the space. And typically, as soon as I got one angel on, they would introduce to, you know, 10 other people who they thought would be really interested. So, yeah, there's, you know, a lot of other founders who are on board. Those are some of my favorite investors because I can learn from them, particularly if they're like one or two steps ahead of me. And we can kind of go through the journey together because I think there's a big piece of of the founder journey, especially as a solo founder, that I really want that camaraderie and that connection and kind of other founders just know what you're going through. So we have a lot of other founders on as angels. And then we also have a lot of like people, L&D, DEI, HR types of backgrounds on as well. And they were both informing kind of the early product and helping us with narrow our thinking around how do we ask different prompts in the product? How do we make them inclusive? How do we make them so that they're really representative of the people crafting these profiles? And then they're also really helpful in kind of piloting us with their teams right? So they care about people, they care about culture. And so a lot of these folks have been the early users and getting this out with their team and testing it and providing feedback, which has been really helpful. Cool. Yeah. So it's really like a snowball sampling one, referring you to the next and then that one being a potential customer. And you mentioned you are a solo founder, crazy thing to do. And a lot of solo founders, they suffer from depression along the, the way. And a lot of you know, accelerators like Y Combinator, they really suggest that you have another founder. Was there any pushback from the investor side? Being a solo founder is not for everyone. It is definitely a more difficult journey, particularly in the early days. And I cannot tell you how good it felt to finally bring on a team and, and not be going at this alone. It was difficult for sure in the beginning, but I honestly, I love it and I'm glad I did it. I think the main reason why investors care about having a co-founder is because in the beginning, there's a lot of product risk. And so if you think about the different levels of risk investors take in, in different parts of the company lifecycle, 
in the very beginning, so pre-seed round, the biggest risk is that you can't actually develop a product and get it off the ground to test this idea that you have. I was able to do that with Bubble, right? I didn't need a technical co-founder. And so a lot of investors ask, they're like, you know, why don't you have a technical co-founder on? You know, it, it seems silly not to. And once I pointed out, well, like, hey, the whole point of bringing on an engineer at this stage is really to get an MVP out. And I've done that. I think a lot of investors were more open-minded because that risk wasn't there anymore, right? We have an MVP, we have hundreds of users, you know, we, we've de-risked this part of the equation. And of course, there's a the question of like, can Kelsey recruit, <laughs> which is a totally different question. So as long as they were comfortable answering yes to that, I think they kind of got over the, the co-founder piece. Yeah, that's, that's funny because can Kelsey recruit when the core of the companies is a recruiting and recruiting the right people? Now let's talk a little bit about where the product is today and then also about traction, the first lighthouse customers, as they call them, and sort of how you're iterating on a day-to-day -day basis. So, so basically for the first about year, we were really deep in product development. And because we're going consumer first, which means that we are prioritizing growth, and we are not monetizing, it really means that our product has to be excellent. And in a consumer world, it is really, it takes a long time to get a product to be exactly what someone wants and have those inherent growth loops where they're inviting their teammates. And so I would say like up until pretty recently within the last few months, we were really just prioritizing like, let's get this product right. And that's still kind of the number one thing that we're focused on. But that being said, we are starting to see some really interesting kind of virality loops happen. And I'll share one example is there was a software engineer from the John Deere team. John Deere, like the, the lawnmower company. Yeah. And um, he signed up. He made this beautiful candor profile and he shared it with 20 of his John Deere teammates. Like he like physically, like he invited them, added all their emails to our invite flow and invited them to candor. And so then they all signed up and made these beautiful profiles. And so that's like one example of the growth loop really working is if we can get that one initial user to get it and they make this beautiful profile, basically the product will sell itself. Because if you invite a teammate and they see this gorgeous profile and they're like, wow, you know, I, I know this person so much better now. I would love to share the same things about myself. There's a very natural kind of growth virality thing that happens. And then similarly, You know, you have this cohort of 20 people within a massive organization like John Deere. All of a sudden, everyone else on different teams looks at this team and they're like, wow, like, they're so culture focused. They're so forward thinking. This is amazing. We should do this on our team as well. And so slowly you start having these like niche networks happen. And the cool piece of that is right now, I say that we've been in this single player mode and Single player mode refers to one person signing up for Candor and being able to get value from the product, even if they don't know anyone else on the platform. What we're moving towards now is this multiplayer mode where one person signs up and they actually know people on Candor and they have this like niche network forming. And that is kind of like the building block that you need for a really powerful social network. And so what we're thinking through now is in multiplayer mode, how do teams interact on Candor? What is kind of the social engagement look like? How do we like validate people, make them feel seen, make them feel understood when their teammates are around? And so those are kind of the big questions that we're answering. And I think that basically is what will power kind of the real meaningful growth that we're looking for. And to understand the product a bit better, maybe you could sportscast the user flow. When I log into Candor, what do I see? And how do I create this beautiful profile that you talked about? Can I share my screen? Yes. So this is actually 
my candor profile. So when you sign in, we kind of guide you through a setup of one of these profiles. And you can see here, these are all questions that I've answered about myself. And this is all through a carousel. So we basically say, you know, go through this carousel, answer questions that you feel like will kind of show your work self and those get added to your profile. So this could be things like, you know, what do you do on a Saturday? What's your favorite movie? But it's also like, tell us about your proud work moments. Tell us about things that you value, that motivate you. Um, give an intro video on your profile, show your happy place. And so you can see it's a very dynamic multimedia profile that kind of is meant to to spark inspiration. You know, we're not boring. We're very consumer forward. It is supposed to be beautiful. The second piece of candor is inviting your teammates. So I've invited all of my candor teammates actually to give their take. So we call these little prompts take cards. And teammates can actually give their take on how I stand out at work. And so this is a really cool, meaningful way that users tell us they feel super seen by their teammates. So they'll kind of write about my superpowers, you know, how I show up at work, all of that good stuff. Users can also control visibility of their takes so I can hide takes. I can pin them to the top of my profile if they're more meaningful to me. And down here we have the candor graph, which is something we've developed with L&D professionals to kind of highlight in these leadership categories where you really stand out. I can also search Looks for really teammates. Cool, yeah. Looks really cool, yeah. Yeah, so I can read my teammates' profile. If they request takes from me, I can write takes for them. Now, talking a little bit about business model, you have mentioned that you're not monetizing at this stage. What's the long-term plan? Is it to, to have an enterprise solution, to have sort of a Teams sell-up and move into a self-serve SaaS? Or what's your take on that? Yeah, so, so Candor is a network. And with any network, you have a ton of data. And in our case, that data is really interesting for two reasons. One is on the hiring side. So if we have data on what someone's like personality-wise, their values, kind of how they fit in the greater scheme, we can actually make tailored suggestions on how to match talent, right? So we can give you a suggestion not only for a product manager, but for a product manager that fits and aligns with your culture. The second way our data is useful is on that culture side. So for people leaders, for founders who are really focused on employee retention and making their culture great and their company a great place to work, Candor can actually provide insights on where their culture is crushing it and kind of where they stand out. And also, you know, maybe areas that they want to focus on if they really do want to boost employee retention. So I think those are the two ways that, you know, our data through just a massive network can provide values on the hiring side and on the people side. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And the larger accounts, you mentioned John Deere there, once you get a sign up, let's say an unsolicited sign up, then you sort of track it. And then at one point you reach out proactively to talk to the people behind it and to understand what sort of their needs are or what sort of that part of the iteration currently as you're still trying to figure out the right monetization model. Exactly. Yeah. So I mentioned my very first role in tech was in user research. And I find that user research and just getting in touch, getting on the phone with our users has been kind of the biggest lever for us understanding the needs, understanding where the product should go based on what our users want. And so exactly right. You know, someone signs up, they're doing the behavior that we expect them to do. Can we hop on the phone with them and really understand how we can make the product what they need? So that's still very much part of the process and probably will be for a long time. Let's talk a little bit about current business environment. And I mean... You seem to be heads down in product and building, but 
obviously there's gloom and doom around the tech side, especially in terms of venture funding, follow-up fundings. How does that affect you on a day-to-day basis? Do you feel like it's harder to potentially upsell once you start monetizing? Do you care at all? I assume with those 5 million seed round, you have enough runway. How do you think about the current environment? Yeah, so I actually hope that we can wait out the market before we raise next. I think it is a really tough market to raise in right now. Fortunately, we have three years plus of runway. And so I do hope by the time that we're looking towards a Series A, the market has shifted a bit from where it is today. And I, I hear similar things from from founder friends who are in, in similar boat is like, let's wait it out. And, and if you're in the position to do so, that's generally been kind of the hope and the, the desire for a lot of founders. We met through our colleague, Michael, who's based in Lisbon. You spent some time in Lisbon. Now you're back in the US. How are you building the company? Is it a remote first company? How do you think about sort of that in terms of building the company up? Yeah, I think actually my biggest win to date has been our team. We have such an incredible team. It feels like magic. It's the best team I've ever worked on. And that is definitely like my my biggest personal win for Candor ever. I do think we've really benefited from being able to recruit from around the world. And so we are a remote first team. We have teammates in New York, Toronto, as well as like UK and Spain. So really all over the world. And I think you know, being able to recruit, being able to kind of adjust for different time zones and have a more asynchronous culture has allowed us to just recruit really brilliant people. I will say that we are remote first, but we do get together once a quarter. And that kind of week we get together is really important for kind of setting a strong foundation for our time apart. We usually pick a different location around the world. The team usually just votes on it in Slack. So we've we've been to Mexico City. The team was in Portugal not so long ago. And we'll meet up again next quarter somewhere, hopefully in between Europe and the U.S. I love the remote first culture. I think it really does allow us to have that competitive advantage of recruiting from anywhere in the world. But it does require a lot of intention. And I think our product actually helps with that a lot for remote teams and our own team included. But that in-person time is also really important for us to kind of set a strong foundation. And on a personal level, I mean, you went from lockdown, bubble, low-code, no-code, and solo founder to now being a CEO, a young CEO. How does that feel and how does how does it also translate now into, into scaling it up? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I have my dream job, to be completely honest. I love my day-to-day. I love the work. I love the team. And yeah, it. I honestly, I, I see myself working on Candor and this problem for the next 10 years. I hope we can, you know, figure things out with Candor. I do think we're starting to see really strong indicators that we're in an interesting market and people really care about what we're building. But yeah, I do feel really lucky. I think I have my dream job. And as we're running against the clock, maybe your call to action, where can people sign up more about Candor? How can they sign up? Who should reach out to you? Where can they reach out to you? I would encourage anyone curious to just sign up and test the experience for yourself. You can sign up at joincandor.com, join J-O-I-N candor, C-A-N-D-O-R.com and just get a sense for the experience. I think that's the best way to really learn more about what we care about and what we're doing and what we focus on. And yeah, we are recruiting a couple more engineers to our team. So we're Ruby on Rails full stack. So if you have any interest in, in software development and you're based US, Canada, Europe, reach out to me. I'm Kelsey at joincandor.com. So yeah. Wonderful. Kelsey, thanks for being here. Awesome. Thank you. 